I hope you brought your Bibles with you and you're ready to jump in. There's a word from the Lord today in the book of Acts, the ninth chapter. We're going to look at two passages of scripture, Acts chapter 9 and 1 John, the third chapter. And I would not like to ask if you would stand with me as we read this scripture together, Acts uh, chapter 9. And uh, I hope you'll make it a practice to bring your Bible along and turn it on, maybe just read it out of your iPad or your iPhone, whatever, but read the Word of God together. It will also be on the screen. Are you with me? Are you ready? Oh, good. You guys are right here. How about the rest of you? All right, here we go. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around from heaven. And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. He was blind. But they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. I'll show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laid his hands on him. And he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose, and he was baptized. And then just flipping over to that third chapter of 1 John, connecting this together, the second verse. Beloved, we are now God's children And what we will be has not yet appeared. And reading together this last part, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. When was the last time you had your vision checked? I'm not talking about your natural vision. I'm talking about your spiritual vision. I want to talk to you today 
briefly about what it takes to really change. Seeing Jesus is what causes you to be like him. And when you get a revelation of him, you will never, ever be the same. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would minister to us today, right now. Feed us from your word. Strengthen us. Open our eyes. And Lord, I say to you, I am willing to respond to whatever you say. And may that be the prayer of our hearts, not just to be hearers, but to be doers of whatever you say as well. Take control of this place now and speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. My daughter has a new favorite show. She's filled up our DVR completely. She has all of our family watching it. It's a show that has to do with fashion disasters. It is called How Do I Look with a lady named Jeannie Mai. And the premise of this show is they take people who think that they are loaded down with style and have the ability to dress uh, appropriately, and they bring them in, and we're laughing, right? Because immediately you look at these people and you say to yourself, what are you thinking? The people are nominated by a friend or a family member who desperately wants the situation to be changed and has had no luck getting through. So they bring them before the hosts of this show who desperately or who who confidently try to persuade them to try on different clothing, clothing that is appropriate, clothing that covers up certain things that should never be seen. Um, All kinds of tasteless clothing. And what's so interesting is these people actually believe that they have an incredible sense of style. So the hosts uh, are being rejected. They, they uh, kick and they scream and they fight every suggestion of what the professional stylists think that they should wear. In fact, they, get, they usually get very angry when they throw away, they suck all of these people's inappropriate clothing up this vacuum. Have you seen this show? And they get so upset and they get angry because they have no idea, they are absolutely blind to how foolish and how tasteless and how ridiculous they look. Their vision is completely skewed. It reminds me of the scripture that says, having ears they do not hear and eyes they do not see. Something always has to change inside of them before the clothing changes on the outside. And that's the interesting part of the show. There's always that pivotal conversation where we find out why a person dresses the way that they do. And what has to happen is change has to occur on the inside long before the clothing will ever change on the outside. Sometimes you don't even know you need help until you get help. The reality is, all of us have blind spots. I think the funny thing about that show is that I can have 20-20 vision on what looks ridiculous on them and be completely blind to my own life. The way I raise my children, I'm blind to, but I can see with 20-20 vision how you ought to be doing it. It's amazing how we look at other people and we see their problems, but we are very blind to our own. I've been a pastor for 21 years. I am completely convinced now, it's not that I wonder if you have blind spots, I just wonder what yours are, because <laughs> everybody has them. Everybody has blind spots. You know why we have blind spots? There's three particular reasons. One is that most of us don't have people in our lives who will actually tell us the truth, and that's a sad thing. Little Jimmy, you are never going to be an American Idol. You just wait till next year. Wait till I come back. I'll prove you wrong. No, 
You can't sing. <laughs> you will never be an American idol. Where are the parents? Where are the truth tellers? Why did they have to drive halfway across the country, you know, to have Randy Jackson say, you can't sing, brother. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can't sing. So we don't have people in our lives that will actually tell us the truth. Another reason we have blind spots is that really to face things would require us to do some pretty significant change. And really, there are none so blind as those who will not see. And so when we realize that something's going to be difficult or painful or it's going to cause uh, significant change, what we really want is for things to get better and stay exactly the same. So when things are going to be adjusted, we tend to turn a blind eye to those and find all kinds of other reasons to justify or to explain or to get other people to change so we won't have to. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Does that sound familiar? Let me give you a third one. We get boxed in by our family traditions, by the way we were raised. People say things like, I've always thought this to be true. Well, who cares? Is it true? That's what really matters. But we get so boxed in by traditions and our backgrounds. And it blinds us from the truth that probably changes that we need to make. It's not impossible, but uh, it's pretty difficult to break free from the religious traditions that we were raised in as children. You owe it to yourself, though, to at least consider the possibility that at least some things of what your parents told you were not true. It's hard to swallow. I'm amazed at people who are so stuck in their past, in their traditions, that they refuse to even consider the idea that maybe I'm not looking at this correctly. This is the way I've always thought. This is the way I've always done. This is the way it's always going to be. And I'm amazed at people who will fight and kill over stuff that they have never really thought through themselves. It's just the way it's always been. You're not mature until you're willing to ask yourself the question, what if I'm wrong? Is there something I don't know that I don't know? Am I sure that I'm right? If you're not willing to ask yourselves those questions, you could be killing the prophets, thinking that you were doing God a service, stoning people that God could be sending to you to help you, but you've never even considered the possibility because of a narrow mind that you could be wrong. Because we always want to be right. This is the story of Saul. This is the story of Saul who would become Paul, the greatest uh, apostle of them all, the writer of more uh, scripture than any of them. He was the greatest apostle in my opinion. He called himself the least, and I think it's one of the reasons why he was the greatest. He didn't just write about Jesus. Lots of people wrote about just Jesus being embodied and what he did and what he said and what he taught. And Paul was the one who said, and this is what it means. And this is the theology of how uh, the resurrection connects to your life and mine. He was a brilliant man. He, was, he would become the greatest uh, apostle, the greatest writer. But before he was Paul, he was Saul. A very intelligent, highly committed, extremely well-educated, passionate, aggressive focused, uh, committed Pharisee who was out to defend every tradition that he'd ever been taught. It is important that you understand that Saul, on his, on his way to Damascus, does not consider himself to be a bad man. He thinks he's a good man. 
He thinks he's a good man, fighting for a good cause, being loyal to all of the traditions that he's ever upheld. He's passionate, he's focused, he is committed, he is zealous. I love those things about him, by the way. I love people like that. Even though he's wrong, you have to respect the fact that he was a guy that got up in the morning and says, let's make it happen. And I like that about him. He's very zealous, he's very aggressive. You know, that's why bad people, people who passionately pursue all kinds of terrible things, when God gets a hold of their heart, they become great, good people. You know why? Because they take all of that passion, all of that zeal, and all of that stuff that they went after all the wrong things, and then they pursue Christ that way. That's why Jesus picked guys who were very passionate, aggressive, focused, very uh, colorful people to be his disciples. So here's Paul, or Saul. He's on his way to Damascus. And he is fired up. He woke up that morning saying, I'm going to arrest some people of the way. The people who are departing from the orthodox uh, faith that we uphold and we believe. And he thinks he's doing God a favor. When suddenly a light envelops him and he's knocked off of his horse to the ground and a voice from heaven says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he doesn't even understand what's going on. And it's important that you realize that sometimes when God is about to open your eyes and help you to see things that you couldn't see before and you're knocked flat and you completely lose your breath and you wonder what in the world is going on, you can't even see what God is doing either, trying to help you to see. And the voice comes to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Who are you? And the answer he receives goes against every tradition that he's ever had. Everything his fathers have taught him, everything his elders have taught him, everything the church has taught him, everything that he's ever thought and ever been taught. And the voice says, it's I, it's Jesus, whom you are resisting, whom you're persecuting, whom you are opposing. In this moment, Jesus the Christ is revealed to him, and he is never the same again. And I want to give you four eye-opening observations out of this story. If you're taking notes, here they are. Number one, you can't prove Jesus to be God to people who don't believe. That's the first thing. It's a little obvious, but stop trying to convince people that Jesus is God. Stop trying to argue people. Try, stop trying to gather the evidence and prove that he is God. Because even if you could gather all of the evidence together and try to prove to somebody, you know, who God is and who Jesus is, it wouldn't matter anyway because we become a follower of Christ. We become Christians through faith, not through knowledge. Jesus can't be explained. He has to be Revealed, And I guess that's the point I really want to make here. Is that Jesus can't be explained. He has to be revealed. Why does he have to be revealed? Because he is hidden to most people. Paul would later write to the Corinthian church. Later on, he would explain this when he would say to the Corinthian church in the fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians. He said it this way. If our gospel is hidden, if it's obscured, if it's covered up, if, if people can't see, it's hidden to those who are perishing, to those who are spiritually dying, to those, uh, it's like a veil covering the mind of those who are lost. And so you need to understand something, that if 
you're here today and you came because of what motivates you, your faith in Jesus Christ, and you worshiped God, and you, it, it is real to you, and it comforts you, and it strengthens you, and, and you are passionate about your relationship with God, you need to understand that you didn't choose God. He chose you, and he revealed himself to you. He gave you a spiritual awakening. You are privileged. You are not normal. You are not ordinary. You're you're not just like everybody else. You've had a a direct encounter with God where he has said, I want you to see, and you have responded, which is an amazing privilege. I don't know if you realize you're privileged. And so people who've never had that experience, they can't see. It's hidden from them. What is passionate and what is precious to you is a lie to them. It's not their reality. Paul goes on to write, if our gospel is hidden, it's hidden to those who are perishing, to those who are spiritually dying, veiled from those who are lost, for the God, little g, uh, of this world has blinded unbelievers' minds, preventing them from seeing the illuminating light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image and likeness of God. So they're blinded to it. They can't see it. And so stop being so frustrated that you have to convince or you have, it would be better if you would just pray that eyes would be opened instead of trying to argue and convince and to push. Because Jesus cannot be explained. He has to be revealed. Satan's tactic is to stop people from seeing. So they think you're a fool and you're not intelligent and you're not rational and maybe uh, you are not quite as clear of a thinker as you could be. Maybe you have lesser intellectual capacity because you have to lean on faith. It's perfectly normal for them to think that way. They think, why would you get up and worship God on a Sunday morning when you could be at home relaxing? In the summers, you can play golf. You can do all kinds of things. Why would you go and worship a God that you can't see and give your money that you can see to a cause that is not quite, you know, clear? I don't understand why you do what you do. And you say, well, I understand because their minds have been blinded and they can't see. And nobody comes to God except that God reveals themselves to him. So you have to realize from the get-go how privileged you are that God has opened up your mind and helped you to see Look what Paul says in the sixth verse. He goes on to say this. For God who said, let there be light. I mean, let there be light. He also said, let there be light in the darkness of your minds. In the darkness of your hearts, let there be light. And that light illuminated, oh, God. He shined in the dark, out of darkness into our hearts as the light of illumination, revealing the knowledge of the majesty and the glory of God. He shined in your heart the gospel that you hold. It's been revealed to you. So if you believe, you're privileged. Now, if that is true, here's the second thing that's also true. Not everybody who calls themselves a Christian is a Christian. Not everybody who wears the label is actually a Christian. Not everybody who recites a sinner's prayer and even says, Lord, I repent of my sins, come into my heart, is a Christian. It does not make you a Christian just to say those words. Saying, I am a Cadillac, does not make me a car. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, 
you will be saved. There has to be some work of God that happens in the heart of a person. So it's not just saying words. It's not just doing rituals. Let me push this even a little bit further. It has, you know, take someone who says, well, I was baptized as an infant, or I was baptized as a child, or I was baptized as an adult. I was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I was baptized in the name of Jesus. If you were just going under some water, it's just Fisher's water. It's just water, municipal water, doubtful, I hope, hope it's clean. It's just water. I've baptized over 1,200 people in this community since I've been here. If I had every person that I've ever baptized, if I had 50% of the people who went under the water and who came up who were passionately following Jesus today, going underwater does not do anything necessarily for you. You can go in a dry center and come up a wet center. <laughs> Nothing can change. So, so not everybody who calls themselves a Christian is a Christian. God has to do something. It begins with him revealing himself and a person responding and a transformation happens in a person's heart. It is not about ritual or activity or human performance. Let me give you a third observation out of this. Therefore, if it's a work of God, if it's a work of Christ revealing himself, it does not have to happen inside of a church. It doesn't have to happen inside of a church. It doesn't need a religious service. There doesn't have to be, uh, you know, somebody responding to an invitation from a preacher. Some people will never, uh, you know, walk down an aisle or do anything outwardly dramatic. There, it does not discount that God has done something transformational and powerful in their heart in a moment that nobody could count and nobody could see and nobody authenticated, but God did something powerful and revealing and transformational in their heart. It was for real. God can come and reach a person sitting in a car, sitting in a prison cell, sitting on a bar stool, spin around and realize, what am I doing here? And something like scales come off their eyes and they realize, I, I, I see myself for who I am. This is not me. I need to get out of here and I need to respond to what I know about Christ. God can reach a person anywhere. And I know you don't hear pe- preachers tell you this because we need job security. <laughs> but, but God can reach a person anywhere. Because when Christ is revealed, that, what, that is what actually changes a person, not doing something necessarily inside of a church building. You have an issue with that that makes you uncomfortable? Read the ninth chapter of Acts. Paul was on the road to Damascus. He was not responding to a sermon. He was not praying. He was riding a horse. And God revealed himself to him and says, Paul, or Saul, who, who are... Why are you persecuting me? And you can be anywhere and suddenly have that moment when you see yourself for who you are and you hear the voice of God saying, I'm real, I am God, I am Jesus, and why are you resisting me? God revealed himself that way to me. I didn't respond to God in a church. I mean, I grew up in the church and I heard sermons all my life and my parents were missionaries. But it was uh, New Year's Eve, 1988, and I was home alone in my parents' basement and just sitting there and suddenly had a moment where I saw myself for who I was. 
and I saw Jesus for who he was, and I had a spiritual awakening. And I've never recovered from that moment. In that moment, I responded, and I said, Lord, I'll follow you the rest of my life. You see, the problem is, is that we get caught, so caught up with externalities and conforming to religion. So, you know, people all over identify themselves by these things. I'm a Catholic. I'm a Lutheran. I'm a Methodist. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm a Baptist. I was, I was baptized as a baby. I was confirmed. I, I took Holy Communion. I, I was on the committee. I've served on the boards. I'm part of the leadership. And if the truth be told, I'm spiritually dead as a doornail. Nothing has ever really happened, ever, spiritually in my life. But when you have a personal revelation of who Jesus is, it changes your life forever. And you can't ever recover. And here's why. You suddenly realize, oh, my God, I am not alone. That life is not some random, disconnected you know, chaotic set of circumstances that are just happening. But there is a God who is mas- the master orchestrator who has arranged all of the events and all of the circumstances and has led me to this moment and has caused my eyes to be open. Light kind of is breaking into my mind in a new way. And I'm seeing as I've not seen before. Oh, my Lord. And you begin to respond and you realize suddenly there was a reason why the gun didn't go off and why the car didn't kill me and why that cancer didn't kill me and why I am where I am today. God, you had your angels encamping around me. It wasn't because I was smart or good enough or because I had the right set of circumstances or parents. God, you've been watching over me my whole life. Oh. And you hear the voices of Jesus say to you, I'm Jesus. I'm God. Why are you resisting me? The reason um, people struggle is because they're trying to imitate on the outside what God really wants to do in a profound way on the inside of you. I want you to look at that verse I read to you in the beginning. And I know this verse is often read in a very kind of an eschatological sense where this is about the return of Jesus Christ physically. But I want you to look at this at face value with, with raw eyes. Take a look at 1 John chapter 3 and just see it for what it is. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we'll see him as he is. That's not just talking about when he comes back someday. When you see Jesus for who he is, it has a profound effect on everything about your life. And you respond, and you start to become like him. And you start to see him as he is. And that's the fourth thing I want to tell you this morning. Seeing Jesus causes you to be like him. And the more Jesus is revealed to you, the more you change. This is what it takes to really change. When he reveals himself to you and in you, you can never deny him. You maybe can't articulate it or explain it perfectly or talk to everybody about it, but but you know I've had an encounter with Christ, and it's real, and it changes everything because he revealed himself to you. 
This is what happened to one of Jesus' own disciples, a man by the name of Thomas. He wasn't present when Jesus appeared to the other ten after his resurrection. And so the other ten are trying to convince him. He's real. We saw him. He came back from the dead. And his response, I don't want anything to do with this. Stop talking to me about believing. I'm, I'm done. It's over. We left everything behind. We left our families. We left our neighborhoods. We, we've sacrificed it all. And then he, he, he's been killed. And now they're chasing us like we've just escaped from prison trying to kill us. No, thank you. I've, this has been too much cost. I'm going home. I'm not going to believe. So that's his attitude. And Jesus comes back. Everybody else is already convinced. Everybody else is cool. Everybody else has had the revelation. Jesus makes it a point to come back through the locked doors a second time for one guy, for one individual, one person, so that he can reveal himself uh, to Thomas. Do you realize how important you are to God? Do you realize how important you are to God? Do you realize how important you are to God? All the way through the New Testament, all he does is respond to people predominantly individually. He, he's always going after the one. Blind Barmatus, by himself. The woman at the well, by herself. The man with the withered hand, by himself. A woman with the issue of blood, by herself. Jairus' daughter, by herself. Uh, uh, Lazarus, rising from the dead, by himself. Nicodemus, by night, by himself. He is always going after the one, and he's coming after you, and he wants to reveal himself to you in a profound way and say, I am the God that you've been looking for. When he veers himself to you like that, you can't deny it. Now, caution. If you try to make changes in your life, if you try to get religious without a revelation of Jesus, it's not change, it's just imitation. And what's discouraging to me sometimes is I see so many people just trying to fit into this new club that they have joined called church. No real response to Christ, but a real desire to fit in and to be like everybody else. And after a while, they're so frustrated, just trying to conform to be accepted, and they're miserable because there's been nothing really that's taken place on the inside, and they don't really have the internal power or the desire or the willingness to really be uh, what God wants. And they've never had that revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a big difference between a commitment to Jesus and compliance to religion. The reason why so many people have trouble trying to do what God says about forgiving and serving and sharing and worshiping and tithing and living a pure life and surrendering and just letting stuff go and, you know, let it roll off your back and just obey. The reason it's so hard is they've never had a personal revelation of Christ that then would cause a total surrender and then subsequently a real willingness to say, okay, well, then you're my master. Whatever you say, I'll do. And so the reason... They've been around church, they're connected, they're around, but they're still hateful, still bitter, still full of gossip, mouths full of cursing, hearts full of deception and malice and discord and violence. No personal revelation of Jesus. 
just doing the church thing. No revelation, no surrender, no willingness, no willingness, no transformation, no transformation, no power. Let me ask you a hard question. If you're still hateful in your heart, has there ever been a regeneration? Have you seen him as he is? When you get a revelation of Jesus, when you truly get your eyes onto him and you see him as he is, it really changes everything. It should rewrite your DNA. It should change your personality. It should change all of your attitudes. And one of the biggest lies that Satan tries to blind you and me with, especially all of you like me who have been around church our whole life, he tries to make you think that the gospel is for non-believers. But the gospel is for you. And the gospel is for us and it's for me. The gospel is for all of us. The idea that we need this revelation of Jesus all of the time that we need to see him, that he needs to be in front of us, that he is the one that we look at, and that determines how we behave and how we act and how we follow and what we do. And he's the one that we look at. You need this as much as any person who is lost. Every time I've ever gotten into trouble in my life, it's when I fail to see him as he is. I just got worried. I got studying the problem. I got looking at what was going wrong. I looked at the circumstances, who was saying what, or, or started to panic or stress out or freak out. And I spent more time looking at it instead of looking at him. I got my eyes off of him and onto it, off of my vision of him and onto my condition of where I was. I lost my vision of what he is able to do. What you need and what I need Every single day is a fresh revelation of Jesus, of a conquering Christ who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. That he is greater than any circumstance that you face or any problem that you face, no matter how big you think it is, whatever that is. That thing that you say is too big. That child whose will is too strong, that addiction you say you've not been able to conquer. He's bigger than that. He's bigger than that thing that you turn to for comfort. He's bigger than that cancer. He's bigger than that circumstance, than that person on the job who is your enemy, than that person who slandered you, who stole from you, whatever. He's bigger than all of that. And when you get your eyes upon him, everything goes back to where it's supposed to be. Look at this with fresh eyes for just a moment, all of you Christians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for the God of this world has blinded the unbelievers' minds. Okay, so that's me sometimes. I mean, I believe in Christ and all of that, but there's times when I just, I stop believing, right? And you do too. So the enemy cannot stop God from being God. He has no power over God. He can't stop God. I mean, he can't even really hide God because to hide something means that you have control over it. You can pick it up and take it, put it somewhere where somebody can't find it. Well, Satan can't do that to God. God is all-powerful. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. He can't move God or stop God from doing what he's going to do. The only hope he has is that he can cover your eyes. He can't stop God, but he can blind you. He can blind me. And so what he wants to do is to get our eyes covered up, get our eyes off of him. 
And I know that most of us are believers. We pray, we believe, we, you know, we have faith, we can quote doctrine, all of that stuff. But sometimes we allow issues and weaknesses and problems and circumstances and addictions and all kinds of things to blind us that we cannot see clearly who God is. And we, we no longer have a vision of him. And without a vision, the people perish. So Peter one of Jesus' disciples at one point steps out of a boat in the middle of a hurricane force storm. And without any explanation, without any real understanding of, I created all of this, I made this, don't worry. The, the word is simply, come, come. And Peter steps out in faith and does something that is totally impossible, that humans aren't supposed to do. He walks on water. But as long as he has his eyes upon Jesus... As long as his vision is fixed on Jesus, he walks and does something he's not supposed to be able to do. But halfway through his goal, he looks away and he looks down and he starts taking in his circumstances. He gets his vision off of Jesus and onto his condition. And when his eyes are on his condition, instead of on Jesus, he starts to sink. And there are some things that some of you used to walk over on top of. You used to have victory over, and it didn't bother you, but since your eyes have gotten off Jesus, you find yourself sinking again. Could it be that your eyes aren't on Jesus anymore, and they're onto that critic, onto those circumstances, onto that adversity, onto that problem? You need a new vision, a fresh revelation of a conquering, powerful Jesus who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you can ask or think. When you have a revelation of Jesus, you can do things that you aren't supposed to be able to do. And you can do that because with Christ in view, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So where do we find Paul or Saul? He's on, this, on his back and he's saying, who are you, Lord? And the voice goes, it's Jesus, whom you're persecuting, whom you are resisting. It's very hard for you to kick against the goads. Do you know what a goad is? You know what a goad is? It's a, it's a sharp stick. It's a stick with a sharpened end or a metal end, a prick. And, and the worker uses it to guide this big, strong, massive ox that could, you know, could destroy the person, could break down the stall, powerful animal. But the worker's able to control it by this little prod, this little stick, because when he pokes it, he's actually able to guide that animal to places it doesn't want to go. But if the ox kicks back against the pointed stick, the ox ends up injuring itself. So Jesus is saying, Saul, Saul, why are you resisting me? You're, you're really hurting yourself when you resist me. Lord, I, I didn't know, I, I wasn't resisting you. I was just going after these people. Yeah, I know, but they're mine. And if you do it unto them, you're doing it as unto me. And some of you needed to hear that. And he would say to you, why are you resisting me? Why are you trying to do it your way? If you have a revelation of who Jesus is and what he's about and what he's done for you and all that he's forgiven you of, God, I'm sorry. You get your eyes on him and things begin to change in sequence. The only proper response to a revelation of Jesus is exactly what Paul or Saul did. You know what he said? He said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, all right, I want you to go wait 
you go wait over there and I'll tell you later what I'm going to do. That's what God always does. Don't act surprised. And he, 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 he's blinded for three days. He stumbles to this place. And for three days, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't have any guarantee that things are ever going to change. But by faith, he starts to believe that someone's going to come and pray for me. And God has to go and convince and appear to a Christian by the name of Ananias. And he's got to, like, show up because after all this guy has done, after all the bad he's done, and the Lord says, Ananias, it's okay. He prays now. He's praying to me. Ananias goes over there and lays his hands on him and says, Brother Saul, receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that something like scales fell off of Saul's eyes and he could see. And he was never the same ever again. There's something about the word of God when it is explained and when it is shared that it's like scales that come off of our eyes. That's why you need to be opening and hearing and and being around the word of God. It removes what's unclear and takes away that which has caused us to be blind. And when we have that revelation of Jesus, we are never ever the same again. And he will cause us to do things that are humanly possible, humanly impossible, by his spirit at work within us. Isn't that an exciting message today? Isn't that good? All right, so let me pray for you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute more? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the power of your word. Holy Spirit, right now, open up minds. Reveal yourself in a powerful way. Let there be a revelation of Jesus Christ to every person. To the one who has never had that spiritual awakening, awaken them now. To the one who knows you but their eye is off of you, open up a view to you again. Will your response be willingness today? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Will you say, Lord, I will do whatever you ask me to do. I'm willing. Willingness is the key to ignorance and resistance. Lord, I am willing. I'll say yes to you. I don't understand it all, but I'll wait and I'll let you reveal yourself to me in your time. And I will do whatever you say. I'll go where you want me to go. Everything I have is yours. I'm fully surrendered. I am now willing that you would be my Lord and Savior. If that's you, you say, yes, God, that's me. Holy Spirit, transform people's lives in this moment. May this be the beginning of real and lasting change. Thank you for what you've done in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Did you pray that prayer and mean it today? Isn't that what you wanted? If God has spoken to you, then you need to respond to that in some way today. And you know what? For those of you who say, you know, the light's coming on, don't be surprised if sometime when you're driving in your car two or three weeks from now, suddenly you have that moment and the answer is still the same. Say yes, respond. God, I see you. I want you to be on this journey with me. Keep coming back. Thanks for coming today.